we are in a really exciting thing. This is my favourite thing to do. Uh, my favourite thing in the world is what we're doing this 10 weeks. Opening up the big story of the Bible so that people can understand what is the Bible from start to end, what's the story of the Bible. Then therefore, because as we saw in week one, where we looked at the characters and the setting, which is what the start of any good story does, this story is the story of our universe. And so as I understand the story of the Bible, I'm going to understand my universe well. And then we had in week two that we had the, the complication, the thing that goes wrong, or the, the thing that introduces some tension that we wish we're hoping will solve through the rest of the story. We sort of see what went wrong with our world. And like a, uh, like a sort of a, a good romantic comedy, we, we were left wondering, with humanity and God disconnected, will they ever get back together? Will humanity and God ever be in the same place at the same time with blessing and joy as the nature of their relationship? The, the thing that sort of seemed to be destined to be in Eden, uh, will that ever get, will we ever get back to that? And that's kind of the, kind of the, 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 the part of the story where we're up to. And, and it's exciting and, and, and sort of there's this freshness as we kick off this, this journey and how could this possibly be solved? What's God going to do? Like, people haven't been so great. What is God going to do? What are people going to do? How is this going to work out? And I just love doing this with you. So thank you for being here with me. I'm going to just very quickly ask if you'll join me in praying that I'll do a good job. And, and then we'll, we'll dive into the story for this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you, you tell stories. That you tell stories so that we can get and feel what matters and what matters to you. And so, Father, we pray as, as we... we look into Genesis and this, uh, Genesis 12, 15, 17 and the start of your story with Israel that we would understand, that we would feel why these things are happening, what you were doing, that we would know your character and that we, Lord, would be able to grow in our trust in you, that I would do uh, a, as adequate a job as possible and that your spirit would do the powerful thing of moving this story in our hearts that we might trust in your goodness and undo the lie. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look, um, in, in, in a romantic comedy, you want to know whether the guy and the girl are going to get together again. In a story, we are up to this point. We have had this beautiful sort of time in Eden, but, uh, but, but in a story, you, you, get, you get this sort of um, complication and you think, well, how are we going to get this relationship back together again? I have suggested the Bible is a lot like a romantic comedy. Um, and so uh, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know how relationships work. I'm not a relationship expert, but I thought we should consult one. Uh, John and Julie Gottman. Does anyone know the Gottman Institute? If you bunch of hands up there. These guys are the founders of the Gottman Institute and they care about uh, relationships. They care about marriages and, and they've got a whole bunch of really helpful little tips, a bunch of helpful little um, uh, sort of um, uh, kind of uh, uh, indicators of when parties uh, are going to work out, when the relationship is going to happen, right? And this is one of their key signs. Here we go. One of the key signs of relational health, this is when you know the relationship is going to work. This is when we know as consultants, when we get into a marriage counselling sort of um, situation, whether these two people are going to work out. When parties affirm their commitment to the relationship, when the two parties together affirm their commitment to the relationship, that's when you know. Now, if we went back to Genesis 6... Um, we go back to Genesis 6. Unfortunately, um, 
the, uh, the, it's a bit difficult here because we actually see that there's been some real problems. The flood is actually our, our last sort of big event. And so if we're thinking, well, where are things up to, the, to in the story? This is God's affirmation of his commitment to the relationship. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings at all. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them all the animals and birds and creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I made them. We are not in a situation of an affirmation of the relationship. You can't overstate how dire the relationship is between humanity and God at this point. Now look, after the flood, we got rid of all of the worst of humanity. Things don't look quite so bad. So sure, there's Noah's drunken, naked incident and uh, the shifty son up to no good. But the other two guys seem quite good. They are good sons. And as they have children, none of the three sets of apples fall far from their respective trees. One line of dodgy, two lines of good. Now the next, the next bit of the story at Babel we actually saw the Tower of Abel. We saw humanity uniting together as one in this, this peaceful project. Actually, that sounds kind of good, doesn't it? Humanity uniting together as one in peace. John Lennon would love it. This sounds, this sounds good. And yet the un- unity within humanity, well, it didn't unify them with God. Uh, if you know the story, you'll know that. In fact, their man-made attempt to make a name for themselves by forcing themselves into God's presence was not well received by the king of heaven because they were actually going against his wishes in the way they did it. And so things are still not good even as they try to get back with God. And so when we get to Genesis 12, we meet this guy, Abram. This guy, Abram. Now, Abram's got some links with Noah. Well, I mean, everyone does now genetically because he all come from him. But Noah's oldest son... One of the good ones, his name is Shem. Now, if you're interested, Shem is the guy that we get the Sem part of the word anti-Semitic. So you heard of anti-Semitism. You might have thought of it as people who don't like Jews. But anti-Semitic in the literal sense is a, a hatred of the Semitic people. So that includes Arabs, Israelis, Akkadians, others. And Abram is a Semite. Uh, from, in, in this story, that, that means he's from good stock, Good guy. So God starts to talk with this bloke, Abram. And here's what he says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. I want you to leave your people and your father's household, everything that's familiar to you, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. This is a fascinating move from God at this point. He's been dealing primarily with all of humanity. But here, all of a sudden at this point in history, God picks one bloke, one man, And he basically just says, trust me. Trust me. Leave your place of safety. Let's go on an adventure. Where are we going? Don't worry about that. I'll show you when we get there. I I, I would love to have been there. I'd love to have been Abraham's stunned silence. Okay, God. Um, What what, what are we going to do when we get there? Well, this Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Do you hear the echoes of that sort of early promise of Eden in this? You're going to be fruitful, Abram. Lots and lots of kids. 
There's, there, there's going to be blessing. That thing that I, every time I made something and gave it everything that it ever needed, and then I'd just bless it some more on top of it. Yeah, that's going to be you. In fact, actually, it's, I'm going to be with you in this place. You and me and all your family. And it is going to be good. This is exciting in the storyline, right? Because we, we were not expecting this. The, the last time we heard God, he is not happy with humanity. This, this is beautiful. This is encouraging. Now, a few implications of it. Um, not only that, there's this last bit, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, it's not just, hey, one guy, I'm going to invite you to my place, and we're going to hang out together and have nice things. Abram now has a role in the drama. He is not just uh, the, the sort of the, the love interest who happens to be there and is just a handbag and doesn't actually play a role in the plot. In the story of God and humanity getting back together, God is now not the only active party. Abram is in. God has recruited someone else into the rescue mission. Abram and all of his descendants. You might say he was chosen, elected. His, his, his descendants don't get much choice there in this. But it also is interesting because it also excludes some people. Whoever curses you, I will curse, says God. There's kind of some distinctions between humanity now in this story. People who are on side with God and not. And so from here on in, God's people are Abraham's people. With a focus zooms in. So if you read your Bible, everywhere from Genesis 12 and onwards, and from now on, the, the main characters are this people of Israel. Now, how are you feeling as a, as a story reader? Humanity, how they've been going so far. How do you feel about God including humans in his rescue mission, in his team, in the plan? Right? Like based on how their performance has been so far and God's driving the helicopter and he just invites a few of them onto the rescue helicopter. Are you feeling more confident about getting rescued now? You see, we're so unreliable, or at least so far in the story, the track record of humanity is not stellar. And yet, this is a strange thing God seems to keep doing. He keeps enfolding human beings back into the plan even as he has just demonstrated that they're not you know, free from the defect that could see the whole plan unravel. In this, you are going to bless the whole world. Now, there's something really incredible about God's heart here. After the brutality of the flood, well, it's, it's not just the Eden stuff. It's not just that there's going to be some good things. The thing that God never promised in Eden, that was a, never a part of the deal, was a great name. There's something extra. So in Genesis 11, with the Tower of Babel, these people wanted to make a tower. The part of the thing was they wanted to have this great reputation, a great name for themselves. And they, they tried to force that for themselves. The thing that God never promised. And yet, God, though, in bringing that project down, then in his kindness and goodness, the next guy who never even asked for it, God just casually promises Abram that that's something that he will have too. See, there's a, a generosity to God. It's not that God doesn't want to give humanity good things like a great reputation, like a great name. It's about the way that they're going about it. And so we get Abram here who trusts and obeys. Now, um, 
we could, this is where we're up to in the story so far. We've had, hopefully it's big enough to see, probably not quite, I should have gone bigger. But what I'm going to do over the course of this next 10 weeks, or the next eight weeks, is introduce you to a really simple timeline that will build up over the weeks, so that you, by the end of this, will have a burn in the back of your retinas, uh, a simple way to understand the timeline of the Bible, so that whenever you open up a book, you're like, oh, no, it just fits there, so I know, I know what's going on in the drama, so I know, how to, I know what's going on, and I know how to read this bit of the Bible. So we start out with creation, then we have exile from God's place, the flood, and then Babel, but then God speaks to Abram and makes this thing called a covenant, this promise you're going to do a special place where I'm going to bless you. We're going to have adventures. This is going to be exciting. And Abram receives it. Now, conversation number two. Conversation number two. Move to Genesis 15. Um, this is uh, God comes and has coffee with Abram again, as normal when God rocks up. Oh, sorry, I forgot. I um, thought I'd show you where it was. Uh, this, is, this is geography. Ur. This is the place of the Chaldeans. This is where Abram grew up. Then God called him out. He went to Haran with, with his father. Uh, and then on the way, they, God said, no, I want you to come down to Canaan. This is the place that I'll show you. And Abram goes with him and then wanders around a little bit. Does a little sheep herding and stuff around the place. Dwells in tents. Now, God then comes to Abram again. He says, relax, it's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm what keeps you alive, and I'm what makes life worth living. So when I come to talk to you, it's okay. Don't be scared. I'm the one who provides for you. I keep you alive. And me being with you is actually what makes life worth living. That's what he means when he says here, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. It's not a bad way to start a conversation. It's very, it's very ambitious. Like, certainly, it's not a line you'd use on a first date. Hey, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm what keeps you alive. I'm your protection for the night, and I'm what makes your life worth living. It's, it's, it's fairly ambitious. But from God, when it's true, that's a beautiful statement of commitment to the relationship again, isn't it? Now, Abram's struggling. See, because it's, it's not sort of a smug distrust or an arm-twisting religion of Babel where he's forcing God to do the right thing or what he thinks is the right thing. But, he's, but here he genuinely shares with God that he's struggling to trust him. God, there's some circumstances here. Yeah, we've, we've moved. We've, I've, I've got, come a long way. I don't have any grandparents to take, care of the, to take care of the kids. I'm not getting away with Sarah very much for a weekend. In fact, actually, I don't have any kids. Plenty of kids in the household to take care of, but they don't. They're not mine. I'm childless. And you said, you said many descendants. And I have none. I've, I don't even have any hope for having more. Because if you look at my age, you know, hold on, look at my age, Sarah's age, Adam, carry the one. Yep, yep, no. Our age, is, our age is very big. And my number of children, okay, carry, yep, still zero. There's no descendants. And so Abram does this thing that I think some of us do in our prayers. It's kind of interesting. He, he sort of settles for something not as good as what God has promised him. Do you notice that? Um, Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count it if you can indeed count them, count the stars. 
He said to him, that's how your offspring will be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram trusted what God told him. And that's what makes us good, says God. That's what righteousness means. Credit it to him as righteousness. It's not God saying, oh, okay, so if that's the case, then I'm going to you know, cancel out all of your sins. It's God saying, that's how this relationship works. That's what, it, that's what it means to be good with me, is with when I say I'm going to bless you and, I, and I'm going to do it, that you trust me. You trust that I am good and want to be good to you. Now, Abram, Abram, Abram's not, this is the thing. Abram, it says that Abram was righteous. He trusted God, and yet he still asks another question. So I keep pointing up there because that's like where I see it, but it's actually here. That, that he still asks another question, the very next verse. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? He, he, settle, he, he wants to settle for something less. Lord, uh, could just, just Eliezer of Damascus, like he's got kids. He's my head servant. They're probably next in line of promise. We'll just do it that way, okay? And God says no. God says no. God says no. I'm going to give you the thing that I promised to give you, even if you think it's too big for me to give you. Even if you'd be willing to settle for something a little bit less. It's going to be incredible. Dream big. Count the stars. God keeps ramping things up in terms of how generous he says that he is. Sounds almost too good to be true. And so Abram says the fair question, how will I know? How will I know? And so God does this. Read the story. It's an interesting one. Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. So it sounds like Abram knows what's going on here, right? <laughs> like, you know, he knows straight away. You cut them in half and you put them in two rows. Like, it's a strange thing to do for us, but not for him. See, covenants were like contracts. And in, in ancient Hebrew, you didn't sign a covenant. You, you cut a covenant. What you did was you would cut these animals in half, place them along the sides, and then the two parties to the covenant would walk together through the two animals, almost symbolically saying, like, may, it, may I be like these sacrificial animals if I break my part in the covenant. So Abram knows that this is just what you do. It's sort of, you know, a, a, a contract handshake. So he, he gets it all set up. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting... Seems like this process took a while. Abram fell into a deep sleep, not normally good in a business meeting. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, with Abram unable to really do anything, he's gone. Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. There'll be a hard time. There'll be a dark time. But they'll be enslaved and mistreated each other there. Still dark, sorry. The butt was too early on the butt. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And after they will come out with great possessions. And you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The Amorites being the descendants of the dodgy son we talked about. We're going to pull these threads together later on as the, you sort of start to see there's, 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 there's different characters we're getting introduced to here. And yet then at the end of it, when you get to the end of the ritual, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, this smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. 
and it passed between the pieces. God, this symbolic sort of vision of God, walks through the two sets of pieces. What's going on here? Abraham normally would have to go through it with him. God here is saying, look, you want, you want some certainty from me? Okay, well, I'm going to commit myself to the relationship. I'm going to affirm that. And I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't require you to match me. Do you understand? This is, this is a contract where only one party has got penalties imposed on them. Where breaking it means that only one party must die. This is God committing himself to Abram. But if you think about the covenant itself, what was he committing himself to? It's, this, is God, this isn't God committing himself just to Abram. He's committing himself to the whole world. He's committing himself to you. Because it's all of humanity who are going to be blessed through this guy. And so there is hope. This, this, this story started with such generosity. You think, how could it even, someone in our growth group even said, how could this go wrong? God is like so OP. He's just completely like way too good. But then it went so wrong that you're like, how, this, is, this is irredeemable. How could this possibly get, any, get, get, get good again? And yet here, God says, well, if you trusted in my goodness to start with, I promise you, I am putting myself, my life, my reputation on the line. I will bring the world back to blessing. This goes on, Abram sort of uh, kind of, I guess, goes along with this promise for a while. This is the, the next stage of his life. And then we get to the third coffee. God comes back. Oh, hold on, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the World War Z. You get it. Don't worry about Brad Pitt yet. He's very distracting, I know. But God visits again. Chapter 17. And as he does this, there's this kind of mixture of things going on. Let's, let's read what happens. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Physical operation in the male's penis in order to mark out these people as people who trust in God. Further, chapter down to verse 14, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So all of a sudden, I'm back in confusion again. Hold on, I thought, God, you were the only one who walked through the two things and, 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 and now, now God, the one who is so powerful and so good and all of a sudden you've guaranteed everything. You have guaranteed blessing for humanity and then now, well, if the rescue team doesn't want to actually be part of the rescue team, well then, all right, we're cutting off. They're getting out. They don't make, they don't make the cut. There's actually an element for humanity here to play in this. And humanity aren't just passengers along the ride. At the very least, this Abrahamic family, not, they actually got a commitment. They got a responsibility to continue to trust God, to continue to, to this whole sign being a, um, a, a kind of like a sign of being willing to, willing to commit Willing to identify yourself with Yahweh, with this God who's going to save the world. Now, yeah, I'm one of them. You might, you might think, okay, that just seems like a very small thing. And yet, maybe it's taken a while for you to let the people at your workplace know that you're a Christian. Oh, is it really that easy to identify yourself with God? And is there really no cost to that? See, this is, this is, this is the, the, the purpose and the point of circumcision here. And God adds to this some trust being needed. 
See, Abraham, uh, back to uh, 17, 17 verse 1, he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. I'll make my covenant between me and you and I'll greatly increase your number. Walk before me and be blameless. There's a role for you. I'm not just going to do this outside of you. You are a part of making this happen. The story is kind of a, in an interesting point because it's all kind of words so far. God's made promises and Abram did a great job. He, he, he scooted over to, to, to Canaan and tr- trusted God. And, but how's it going to go? Like it's, it's exciting. We know where the trajectory is. We know that now there's a, a, a team who are meant to be saving the world. God's put together his team. But how's it going to go? Now, by the way, I will go. Now it's Brad Pitt time again, okay? So um, in, in, in the movie World War Z, the, the whole purpose of this movie is that there's a worldwide catastrophe and that they need some, this, this, this special team, they need these, these people who are the experts to, to find out a way to actually try and save the world. And so you've got people in Australia, you've got people in Mongolia, you've got people in Japan, you've got people in America, wherever, Europe, and their fate all depends upon whether these guys can save the world. And so the movie is concerned about the fate of the world, but the funny thing is that you actually don't get any scenes in Mongolia or you don't really get too much, you know, chit-chat with uh, a baby in um, France or... Because the movie's all focused on, on Brad Pitt, not just because he's good-looking, but because it's... Because it's, it's the question is, is he actually going to be the one who's going to save the world? And so just like that sort of movie, the Bible is kind of similar. All the scenes from Genesis 12 onwards are actually all focused on Israel on Abraham's family, on this, this team that God's put together, and these people who God's actually going to, you're a part of this. You're going to need to be on board to actually bring this blessing to the whole world. And if we fail at this, well, that's the fate of the world. The fate of, in fact, heaven and earth, as we heard, is kind of the stakes in the, in the first chapter. And so, so we kind of, uh, that's partly why, first of all, that movie focuses on Brad Pitt, because the little, kid in, in, the little kid in Russia, Moscow, his fate depends on whether Brad succeeds. And so the same for you and me. Our fate depends on whether God's people, Israel, succeed in this mission that God's got for them. So if you've ever wondered why is it always Israel, 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 everything from this point on in the rest of the Bible, well, that's why. That's the story of the Bible. They are the team to save the day. So we're at this point of, 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 of the tension is rising and, and we, we, uh, we don't know how it's going to go and we're thinking, well, hold on, this God was so good and yet he responded pretty harshly to sin. He's not, he's not cool with evil. And yet then he commits himself unconditionally that he is going to bring blessing to Abraham, but then through Abraham as well. But then he requires that people be involved. Gee, this is going to get messy. You'd be right. This is tense. And yet there are huge promises and a good God who stakes his reputation and his name and his life on keeping it. Now, I just want a couple of things out of this. Um, when, When... you go to God to ask him for things. Before you even ask, do you kind of like do a negotiating strategy in your head before you ask for stuff? Do you know what I mean? Like you're thinking, what can I ask for? 
what's appropriate to ask for? What, 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 what might God give me? And you're sort of, you might want this, but you know, realistically, I'm probably only going to get this. And so you sort of work out, do I ask for this? Like, <laughs> where, 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 how am I going to pitch God this week? Do you ask for small things? Do you act like you're the child of a poor parent? That's what Abraham did. If I can just have a kid, well, it doesn't have to be my own child. But when God is who he says he is, when God is the God who actually he is, which is incredibly generous and incredibly powerful, do you ever stop and think it's actually kind of dumb to lower our requests? To ask for only what we think of as realistic? Is that faith? Is that believing what the text says, what, the, what God says he will do? When we only ask for things that we consider he might, in our experience, do? What is so good that you're scared to ask God for it? What do you really want? What do you not ask God for in case it means that because you ask for that, oh, maybe God won't like that and so I won't, you know, I won't even get the sort of the slightly less good thing that I've asked for. Abram trusted God and that was when God said, yeah, you're doing it right. Trust me. Yes, listen to my promises. Yes, pray in line with what I have told you I'll give you. Hear me speak. That treats me seriously. That's, that's what Babel didn't do. Yes, this is good. And yet ask me for the good things that I have said I want to give you. Don't not do it. Trust me. There's a second thing here that's kind of interesting. Did you notice how important physicality is to God? Location, location, location. I'm going to take you to a place. God doesn't say, well, you happen to be an Ur and I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm omnipresent. I can go wherever I like so I'll happen to bless you over here. Like I don't, I don't, really, don't really mind where it happens. Place is a place. And God says, no, no, here's where it's going to need to be. This is where it's going to need to be for you and me for this to be good, for it to be really good for you. When God blesses, it's not thoughts and prayers. It's bricks and mortar. It's a, it's, a, it's a mountain and a view. It's a particular place. It's a, a place, and the place matters. See, the, the Christian message, the Bible, is, is not a philosophy, a set of ideas that are beautifully universal and apply through the ages and generations in, in all different ways, and you can just learn stuff from it, and, and you get good ideas. It's a really specific story about a particular set of people um, and their relationship with a particular being who is their creator, and if those specifics aren't exactly as they are, then... Well, that's the fate of the universe literally depends on this stuff happening. When God says, I need you to go here and do this thing or blessing won't come, it's like, no, lives depend on that. The specifics matter. It's concrete. It's personal. It's real. And this is the story that we're reading. When I say story, don't hear me say, this is a story time and it's a fable so that you get a good moral from it. It's a story about how the world is going to be saved. Um, you have a, do you guys have a favourite place? You have a favourite place, place you go to. This is, this is Brisbane. Um, sorry, this is Brisbane. Uh, so that's Kangaroo Point Cliffs on the right-hand side there. Um, lots of rock climbers go up that at night. Um, and it's really beautiful. The Brisbane River, QT, where I went to uni, is across the river behind those trees there, botanical gardens. Um, 
place that means a lot to me. Uh, if you, that, this is from the top of the cliffs looking back over across the other side. But most people just walk along that top bit and it's really beautiful, you know, sunsets and everything. But not everyone knows about this place. So I actually found a picture of it, which is kind of interesting, like someone's used it for marketing. But um, this spot here is if you jump at a certain point over the, um, over the wall there, you don't fall to your death, which is nice, you, you sit on this little rock ledge there. And this is where me and my mates would go. And we'd go there after church and we'd talk about girls, because, you know, we're that age, and we would um, pay each other out and we'd just talk about our feelings, we'd pray, we, we, we'd, we'd do whatever. And that place, I, I, as I'm preparing this, like that place, the, the, the significance of it, it's actually, there's actually a deep significance of it for me. It doesn't make nothing to you, but for me, what about you? Is there a place that means something to you? I don't, I don't, I don't know. What, what's your place? Maybe, maybe it is uh, a Mount Wellington, you know, I, I don't know. God has a place for you. See, the, the, the way that God works is, is not that he, you know, is going to create some sort of new, clean, spick and span, sort of, uh, you know, hospital wing looking kind of thing for heaven. And just him being there is going to make it all good. See, see, history, beauty, actual rootedness in actual places and actual bits of history is important to God. He made those things. He's made those places. What places have you prayed? Do you remember? Is there some place that you've prayed that you actually remember when you and God did business there? Maybe go back there sometime. Go back there. Remember it. Cherish it. This is your history. This is your story with God. God wants to meet you face to face in a very real place. That's what heaven will be. It's not disconnected from our reality. Places matter to our God. And one day he will be with you in a very specific and real place. Lastly, to trust God is actually to risk. Uh, I don't know about you, but like, uh, if, um, what, what did you guys say maybe when that, when that um, uh, question was asked to you? Would you like being given a very specific set of instructions for your life like this? I know some people in one place were like, yes, thank goodness, no decisions anymore. This is awesome. And then other people were like, uh, no, thank you. I like being able to decide where I go. And other people were sitting there saying, that sounds very scary. Everything that's familiar to me, God, why would you ask that? Well, partly because this is, have you noticed this in the story? This is not just a romantic comedy, this is also an adventure story. The character of God's people is not meant to be sitting on your home and in a place that's really comfy and safe. That's not what God does. He didn't create us for that. He created us, put us in a beautiful garden. Yes, it's safe. It's wonderful. Now your job, get out. <laughs> Extend the garden. Rule the world. Climb that mountain. God, that looks pretty high. Yeah, I know. I made it. <laughs> it's pretty scary. Hurts when you fall a long way. Let's see what you do. See what you got. Come on. Abram, let's go. We're on an adventure. It's a road trip. Let's do this. Christianity is not sitting around being a nice person, taking no risks, being as conservative as you absolutely possibly can. Being a nice person is no help to Abraham in doing what God asks him to do, in doing the thing that would get, him, that would get God to say, yes, you, you've been righteous with me. What does? Trusting what God said, that he is actually good, and then doing something very risky that if you trust God, you must do. He had to face fears. 
Yeah, to do things that are emotionally uncomfortable. This is what this is the Christian life. That's what we have to do. You might you might be thinking, oh, I'm just sort of getting on with my life. It's like God's like, no, no, no. The Christians don't get on with their life and also have a relationship with God. This you, our Christian life is an adventure where you risk everything. You remember Jesus saying some things like this? Are you willing to give up everything to go along with me? That's what we do. And it's hard. Because it's hard to trust God that that'll turn out well. Once again, God is the main character in this story. And our little story, he's the main character in that as well. And it's an adventure with him. And if our lives sort of seem like, actually, this is my life with kind of God as someone that I know in my life, and there's no sense that he is the main character of a story in which you guys are in an adventure together. I mean, think about your 20, what is it, 25 million minutes that we've got. Where are you, Wilbur? Yeah, 25 million minutes, yep. Yeah. Uh, of your career. Is that my career? That I'm going to give half a million minutes of to God? And it's not the way Wilbur said it at all, of course. No, 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 this is you and God going on an adventure to, to do mission together. Your career happens to be a part of it. What a crazy, cool, cool ride. And of course, I'm going to be talking with my God as often as I possibly can. And why not do it with my brothers and sisters like in the City Bible Forum evangelistic prayer team? Of course, I'm going to be doing that. I'm an adventure with God. But the question is, can we really trust him? Maybe there's something that you've been avoiding dealing with. And it might be a relationship that you... Ah, you probably should do something about but it's been too scary. Trust God. Go sort it out. Maybe there's a thing within you, a sin within you that you're like, I don't like the... You've never thought this consciously, but you know deep down, you don't like the concept of having to face life trying to get rid of that sin because you're like, I'll probably just fail and I'll feel like an idiot and I don't want to do that. Just, that way, ah. Trust God. Go on the adventure of putting that sin to death with him. He's good. You've got a million reasons not to do it. So did Abram. But he's better than we think he is. He's better than we're willing to even ask for when we ask for much smaller things than what he offers. It's an adventure. This is the story that we're on. Romantic comedy, yes. Praying to God, yes. But an adventure too. We've got Abraham is the one who's our spiritual forefather. Now, we haven't spoken a lot about Jesus in this Partly that's the nature of a thing when you're trying to build up the drama or a story that leads up to Jesus, you don't want to give away the ending. Um, but we are going to talk about him as we take communion soon. So um, please, don't, uh, please don't be concerned uh, because the, the, the gospel is the key to all this and the end of the story. But I want to feel that drama because for Abram, the world depended upon whether he could trust God's goodness. And there's a lot of blessing that comes for us when we ask, am I willing to risk to trust God's goodness too? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, There's, um, it's so real. There's such a drama in this story. Are we willing to make changes in our lives in order to make you the main character in our story? Are we willing to risk the consequences of that? Father, we need courage from you. You are, you are so good that it is worth it and, and our lives will be infinitely deeper and more, we'll be more truly human. We'll be more fully playing our part in the story as we should if we put our trust in you and go on that adventure and to turn our lives into, think about our lives into that adventure. But Father, it is, it is scary. Why would we want to turn everything upside down? Father, please give us trust in you. Father, please challenge us with this call 
Father, help us when we're reading our Bible and reading the New Testament as Christians to hear the call that you made, to hear the call that you make to us now, to live for you and to live a life that's built on trust in you, to go on the adventure of giving up everything to risk that the gospel is true and that we'll be with you forever. Father, help us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that he transforms all of these things. We thank you for him going on that incredible adventure with you of coming down to earth, of risking everything, of losing it all, that he might not only have life himself, but bring life to all of us. Lord, please be with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who goes with us to give us courage on the journey. Help us to give each other courage as we do it and to talk now to each other about the little things that your Spirit's been prompting in us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.